This podcast is a production of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We have worship every Sunday at 10.15 a.m., Bible study before that at 9 a.m. I'm Pastor Golden. Join us on Sunday, won't you? And have a blessed, blessed day. No, not quite. So we're, we're in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the Sabbath rest that you give to our souls. Uh, edify us and give us your Holy Spirit today and your word so that uh, we may learn what this Sabbath rest is about, that we may learn more about the Lord of the Sabbath, that we may learn more about what this means, not only for our souls, but for our bodies as well. Be with us today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, and that's where we left off in 11. A little summary of chapter 11, so it sounds familiar. The opposition begins to be a lot more active, and it will continue to escalate into violence. But it begins to be more active specifically from the ones who won't hear. If you have ears, hear. Let him who has ears, let him hear. The one who won't hear won't repent. While, and, then, and then chapter 11 comes to a close. While the grace of God includes rest for your souls, ceasing from work for your souls. You know, and what is, what is this work? Well, before the fall to sin, work was fantastic. Work was ordained by God. You know, and you had a helper. God gives you a helper and a spouse. And after the fall to sin, well, now work is sweat. Work is toil. Work is weeding the garden. Work is uh, pain and childbirth. Work is pain altogether. So as we go on to this next confrontation in Matthew, um, is there kind of, the first one, and we're gonna we'll read it as a whole, because at first glance it appears to be basically a, a confrontation between Jesus and some Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. But watch the great master, our Lord Jesus, redirect the argument or redirect the conversation. Um, it's it's really neat what he does here. He doesn't answer their question. So we'll begin first. Uh, let's read first 1 through 14 as a whole. Whoever would like to read Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the green fields on the Sabbath. The disciples were hungry and began to cook when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, the disciples are doing what it is lawful for you to do. He said to them, Haven't you heard what David did when and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God and ate the sacred bread, which was against the law, and him or his companions received the bones of the priest? Or have you not read in the law that the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are not guilty? 
I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. You are no mercy to me. I want mercy and not sacrifice. You will not have condemned the innocent. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus left that place and entered their synagogue. The man was there who had a withered hand. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they could accuse him. He said to them, Will not any of you, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? For it is lawful to be healed on the Sabbath. Then he said to the men, Stretch out your hand. Stretch it out with your sword. Copy as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him as to how they could distract him. All right, thank you. So in this two-part narration of Jesus' response to the Sabbath, the first one, disciples are eating some grain, and Jesus has this three-part appeal through verse 8 of uh, an appeal to Old Testament revelation, things that have been revealed in the Scriptures, and then it will culminate in in his own claim that fulfills it. And then in the second part, Uh, that was read, Jesus responds not only in word, but also now in deed. Um, And then, of of course, it ends in a reply in destroying Jesus. Because uh, for the Pharisees now, it's not just a matter of interpreting the Sabbath. Sabbath. That's what they first challenge. They want want this, this rabbi's interpretation of the Sabbath. Um, they've seen the power and they acknowledge it. And at the end, of course, they, they want to, dis- to destroy it. But within this first one, look at the, let's look at the challenge. What is the challenge here? Well, is what they're doing lawful? Going through the grain fields, the disciples were hungry and they were plucking up heads of grain. And geez, anybody ever done that? I think I used to do it as a kid, but I don't know if that's good or bad. Might be a little bitter. So, the Pharisees, the important thing that they're presupposing that Jesus is subordinate to the law, that Jesus is subordinate to the Sabbath, and he will walk us to him not me. So this presupposition that the Pharisees have is what Jesus is about to turn around. Jesus is going to change the terms of the debate, which will escalate to, to the part two of this. Jesus asserts, of course, that what God is doing now in Israel cannot be in violation of the Sabbath. Um, now, Jesus is not interpreting in his answer because the challenge is interpreting the laws of the Sabbath. Jesus uh, is not going to try to interpret the Sabbath in a better way. Jesus points out that something greater is here, greater is here, something greater is here that will give eternal Sabbath. Um, as, the, as, of course, the, the previous verse in chapter 11 says, eternal rest. 
So, I, so far in Matthew, the identity and the authority has been very well established. Now, now instead of, when I, when I decide to reject that word and I reject the gospel and I reject the message, um, as I had mentioned before, you can turn away or you can face and fight. It's fight or flee. If you don't like something, fight or flee. Um, this is actually what will continue from here all the way through chapter 16. Chapter 16, the response to the, the message of repenting and believing in the gospel. Um, ultimately, this section does proclaim the gospel. Uh, and that's what we'll look at. There's, there's two parts that are bound together, that first part and that, and that second part that we read. As you see, they probably happened on the same day. Same day, same town, maybe even same week, or at least the same week, but likely even the same day. So in these first two verses, let's see, let's see first of all what we know about. What we know about this, uh, this action they did. There are very few, contrary to popular belief, there are very few Old Testament regulations on the Sabbath uh, that get specific. Largely, mostly, the Sabbath offers to Israel, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is say, hey Israel, here is your opportunity to rest in God, to rest in his actions of creation and redemption. In his actions of creation, God rested on the seventh day. And as redeemed, we can rest in him. And there are, of course, promises of future rest. Take a look at a couple of these passages. Uh, be Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. I'll read the first one, and then, uh, then we'll look at a second one here. Remember the Sabbath day. Literally, remember the cease from work day, and to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Well, that sounds just like God in creation. And we're going 8 through 11. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your servant, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, of course, the Lord made heaven and earth, sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then, of course, following that, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the, the following of the commandments four through ten. Commandments four through ten. The other one I want to look at that when we're talking about this Sabbath and what it meant for the disciples, what it means for us. Uh, Deuteronomy 5. Somebody would like to read uh, 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
All right, thank you. Now what, so the prohibition, you shall not do any work. What does work mean for someone at this time of Deuteronomy? Well, you only really need to go back to Genesis to look. It's like I said, a man shall work the soil and shall toil and sweat, shall have calamities and you know, all sorts of issues for it. God offers on the Sabbath a break, a break from the sweat, a break from the toil. Now, does that mean it opposes the Ten Commandments? Well, no, no. Um, and that's what Jesus will get in here in a little bit. As speaking to specific regulations in the Old Testament, there's only a few. And I'll go over the few. You could not make a fire, nor you could gather sticks. No stick could be gathered from Exodus and Numbers. But normal work, carrying burden, performing commercial activities, having a store open, having a market, um, treading wine presses, which is an example of work, that was forbidden. These examples have been given in, in several places in the Old Testament on how resting is not done. This is not Sabbath. Then, following the Old Testament, comes a huge, growing body of Jewish legislation, books and books of rules. Um, some of them were actually found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. When, uh, that's when... I think the entire book of Isaiah was found in the scrolls too, in some, in some gospel. And it's the book of Jubilees and uh, the Damascus document. The problem of adding laws to the laws of the Old Testament um, the how to keep the Sabbath overshadows the why we keep the Sabbath. The works of not working, <laughs> getting everything done on Saturday before Sunday, or like practicing Jews today, get everything done Friday night before the sun goes down, and then you can't even hit a light switch in your house. The problem is how to keep it rather than remembering the blessings of keeping the Sabbath. Um, a break from the toil, a break from the sweat. Now they ask Jesus, why Jesus? Well, not even necessarily why Jesus, but you know, what do they think of Jesus? Well, his, his identity has been established. Obviously, Pharisees aren't hearing. But what, if, if Jesus wasn't God to them, then what was he? Well, he was a rabbi, a rabbi subordinate to him, subordinate to the Pharisees. So in that a rabbi 
because there's so much law keeping, because there's, it's focused on works. It's focused on working so you not work on the Sabbath and all the things you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Um, a rabbi is responsible for the action of his disciples because that's a works-based church. So, whereas I, as a pastor, I'm responsible for the spiritual condition of faith of your souls. That is not work-based. Faith is given. Spirits are sanctified. But in their church, in a works-based church, the pastor is responsible for the works, the actions of his disciples that are plucking heads of grain to eat. Then, of course, Jesus turns the argument from this rabbi-disciple rule and interpretation um, that this rabbi is subordinate to the law on the Sabbath. Not only that, this rabbi is subordinate to the Pharisees. He will change this and redefine this rabbi that they are considering. Something than the greater than the temple is here. Um, so, what is at stake in this? And like I said, it, to open first, it looks like, well, how should we interpret this Sabbath? That's not what is at stake for Matthew. What's at, what's at stake is the identity of Jesus. Jesus proclaimed to all who have ears and hear him will find soulful Sabbath. So Jesus answers who he is according to Scripture. And he quotes, uh, well, first, first Samuel 21 uh, with David eating. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread, bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, uh, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priest. First, the Pharisees are trying to compare what David was doing with the disciples. It's apples and oranges. It's, it's apples and oranges. Um, and the second, of course, have you not read the law? Um, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and are guiltless. According to Scripture, this actually, we don't know if it even happened on the Sabbath. So, lies are coming out. And what you'll notice too, Jesus, Jesus never admits that they broke any Sabbath law. He actually calls them innocent. You have not condemned the guiltless. Calls them innocent. Um, David, in this first example, David was fleeing for his life. Um, Jesus is not, G David is fleeing for his life. David and his men. Jesus and his men are not in that sort of danger yet. David ate what's called the showbread. He ate the bread of the holy place. That was forbidden. It was not it was not uh, doing work on the Sabbath. Um, 
so David did not actually break Sabbath law, what was unlawful for David is that he ate holy bread, which only priests were allowed to eat on any day of the week. It was not tied to the Sabbath. So in this first response, here is an invite to all who hear a new appreciation of how significant Jesus himself is. If David and his men were justified in breaking God's law, because David found his men in need, like a sheep that falls down the well on the Sabbath, then how much more are Jesus' disciples free to ignore Pharisee interpretation because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is greater than David? And there's no pause. He's just going to roll right into, the, into, part two of the, into part two of the response. Um, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guilty. This is from um, 1 Samuel. When a priest works on a Sabbath in the temple, they are innocent of a violation. Me. My Sabbath rest day is Sunday, but I'm working. Usually here 6.37 in the morning, getting ready and stuff. Uh, do I, so for a pastor, it's different. I have to find Sabbath in different places, but Sabbath, as God describes it, is rest in, it's, as God describes it, is rest in his holiness, in his word and sacrament, in those means. Um, so if the priests are innocent of violation, priests subordinate to, to the high priests, then how much more true is it then for the disciples of Jesus? For something greater than the temple this year, greater than what the priests do on the Sabbath. Um, now in the book of Matthew, the temple generally has a positive view. Up until the foretelling of its destruction. I think it's uh, Matthew 23. And what is the temple? What, you know, what does the temple mean to a Pharisee? The temple to a Pharisee is not a worship section, classrooms, an office, a fellowship hall. The temple to a Pharisee is alike with a church to a Christian. The presence of God is promised there for them. So, and I, and this this still holds true when 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 this is when this is said. Something greater than the presence of God is here, not just a temple building. Um, God has come now to fulfill those same Old Testament scriptures not to supplement them. Um, God has broken into history, and that's actually, that's from Matthew 5. God has now broken into history to restore and forgive. Um, in chapter 9, the healing of the leper, where, uh, well, if you don't believe, I can 
forgive sins, take, take up your mat, rise and walk to the paralyzed, not the left, the paralyzed. Um, so it's a new definition of God is with us. We have the saying that the, we have the resurrection. His resurrection would be the sign that God's reign has come and Jesus will continue to be God with us. In other words, if something stands opposed to your unbelieving way of life, like the Pharisee, right now, his, he, they, chose, they chose not to hear, they chose not to repent, they chose to reject. Uh, something is standing in their way of life. And if you reject it, the words of Christ will only strengthen your opposition. This will actually, this is part of an escalation. So the words of Christ strengthen the Pharisees' opposition. For a heart that's already hardened, Pharisees' hearts are hardened, the truth hardens it even further. The truth hardens an unbelieving heart. Um, Take anybody who claims to be an atheist today and try to tell them about Jesus Christ. Opposition. Um, I saw a TV there for one once. He finally did come to Christ. But he said, No, I don't believe in everything else. And he was an atheist. But when something happened, that's what happened. Anyway, they came to the point that. He was so overwhelmed, he didn't know what to do. So he just asked God to help him. It's and a, that's all he needed to do, and he just, God just took over. One thing you said there is a really good point. Something happened for the conversion. Uh, the first thing we think is how. How did it happen? That's not for us to think how. Called by the gospel. Called and enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, because I almost want to say, what part of the Bible did he read? How did it happen? Well, different medicine for different ailments, I suppose. Who knows? Could be anything. Yeah, that's neat. Um, now, after he's, uh, he, he's gotten rid of this presupposed subordination that the Pharisees, you know, that's part two. And and he keeps going here. He's identified himself. Now he will answer the condemnation of the Pharisees. He quotes another scripture that the Pharisees know very well um, from Hosea 6.6. Jesus says, "If if, if you have known what these words mean, you have not Accused the innocent, um, but instead, but instead, as it says in, uh, I think it's Matthew. Yeah, Matthew nine. Go and learn that I am manifesting God's mercy. Jesus is the manifestation of the mercy. Um, 
He quoted this same scripture. That's where it was. In the call to Matthew. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, so for us, we are to learn that Jesus is the manifestation of God's mercy. What, what does this mean for someone who's not a Pharisee, for someone who does hear? The mercy of God became something real. It manifested itself into a real means of forgiveness, real means of mercy, a real means of sacrifice. Um, Ultimately, the Pharisees do not know, nor do they believe, that Jesus is God because they have chosen to continue to work and not rest. And it takes hard work not to hear. I'm a pretty loud guy. When I preach on Sunday, it's pretty loud. They've turned my microphone down all the way. And sometimes I guess it's still with static and I don't know what. But it's hard work to sit in a pew and not hear. Try not to listen to the word of God. That's a lot of work. Um, and then, of course, this closes in verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is telling them, these things are subordinate to me. I am not subordinate to them. So then, what is this New fulfilled meaning, not even new because the Sabbath has been around. What is this fulfilled meaning of the Sabbath? Well, next, the true purpose of the Sabbath is going to be explained by God himself. Um, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. Same day, man was there with a, with a withered hand. Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath. It's, of course, a trick so that they might accuse them. And this also secures why this is likely the same day. Uh, because they were plucking grains. It was either that or a, a week later. We don't know absolutely sure, but we see so that they might accuse him. So the Pharisees, are, they're kind of pushing the envelope here. Um... They, they must have known that he's healed before. Right? And they'll probably, they probably think he's going to heal this, this guy with a, with a withered hand. Um, we don't know, first of all, looking at Old Testament law and looking at Jewish law, all the added law. We don't know, actually, what the right answer to this is. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it Old Testament lawful? Is it, is it Jewish Pharisee lawful? We don't know, even with all the other Jewish books we have, we don't know what that is. So Jesus' response will actually go from, and he's done this in a few spots, he goes from lesser to greater. It's another escalation. From a sheep to a man, from a sheep to a man. Um, 
And then, of course, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Uh, Jesus draws the conclusion on what God has intended for the sap to do good. To do good. Um, it's a Sabbath rest because you're not toiling, you're not sweating. You're not, and that's spiritual too. It's not just body stuff. Resting in God's word, resting in the presence of God, resting in God's means. But what God had intended for the Sabbath was to do good. What God had intended for the Sabbath before the fall to sin was for man to work. And it was good. And it was very good. Jesus now teaches the same thing in a new way. In this revelation for us, Jesus teaches that the, the spirit and intention of the Old Testament original institution of keeping the Sabbath. Um, so then he says to the man, well, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. He doesn't speak of any actions that Jesus is doing here, because that's, that's not the... That's not the focus. We're still in the Sabbath focus. God's desire of good works on the Sabbath is shown in the actions of Jesus Christ. Um, restored hand like the other. Uh, some thoughts about the Sabbath. Well, first, why did God originally give the Sabbath? The people of Israel needed rest, or God wouldn't have given it. Um, they needed rest because they could never, on their own time, complete their labors for God. The Sabbath is gospel. The law God gave, we know history of Israel, they couldn't do it. Had they tried, they would have worked themselves to death seven days a week. But God knows this, so Sabbath is a period of, of, of renewal, of restoration. Sabbath, for us, is provided by Jesus. Our Sabbath, that centers in Christ, is in his forgiveness and truth. The Sabbath is... Where'd it go? The Sabbath is God's good works for us. God does it perfectly. What's our Sabbath? Forgiveness of sins. That's what God does for us. Um, so he tells us in the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Well, what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, this is not the reason why we, sell it, why we have church on Sunday instead of Saturday. This is, not, this is not why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday rather than Saturday. There's other reasons for that. So there are very good reasons for that. Why do we have church on Sunday? Why not Thursday? Very simply, Easter. The resurrection. The resurrection. The resurrection, the first day of the week, is called the Lord's Day. And Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Um, so what's our Sabbath? Well, we know it's about an hour and 15 minutes next door. Two hours and 15 minutes if you come to Bible study. Three hours and 15 minutes if you come on Wednesdays. But usually the rest of Sunday, after church and you get out, it's, these days it's given over to busyness. Not business, but busyness. Entertainment. Accomplishing things you couldn't get done during the week. This can be a way of ignoring our creaturely limits. Like, if, like Israel would have done had God not given a Sabbath rest. Um, this can also be a way of ignoring our childlike limitations of being poor in spirit, our condition. Um, we, need to, we need to rest. And perhaps the reason why not many Christians, uh, Christians often lack the desire to do good and benefit thy neighbor, and do good works, is because they haven't rested themselves in Jesus for very long on Sunday. Or very well. I don't know. I don't know. I always find it a, you know, the sermon, as we're learning in Matthew, it's the very first word of the sermon, repent. What's the very first thing that we do here in worship on Sunday? Most, most merciful and gracious God, it's that we, we confess um, but as you do it week after week, and I, I've, I've done this before, you just kind of fall into the rhythm of just reading the bold letters on the page without actually So how do you rest well? How do you rest well? Well, that's kind of an oxymoron in itself because God gives you the rest. God gives you the ability to rest well. Um, but in this, first things must come first. Jesus gives us the rest that we need. Um, so Jesus, being full well aware of this, <laughs> they're out to destroy him. Okay, we're escalated now. You're not subordinate to us. You now threaten us. You now threaten what we believe is in the temple. Um, and now you have disciples that are subordinate to you, that are listening to you, that are following you. And we need to stop this. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew there. And many followed. Let's read next. Let's read, let's read the whole next section, uh, 15 through 21. Aware of this, that
is free. If he is free, he will not worry. And only in work he will not mess up. But he leaves justice to victims. His means the nations will take the All right, thank you. I like your translation because it's got nations instead of Gentiles. That's more accurate, actually. Um, yeah, it's certainly nations, not just, not just non-Jews. Um, so this is kind of neat because this is a question that also often comes up. Why in the world, Jesus, do you not want this good news spread? Why in the world are you telling healed people not to go and tell their friends about it? Hey, you have a brand new hand. Go and tell your friend about it. Why is he not trying to uh, grow his church? Man, this, is, this is Matthew's exposition of that. Um, and, and in this, this is the longest Old Testament quote in the book of Matthew. It's from Isaiah 42. Um, this gives the identity of Jesus as the heir of the Father who gives Sabbath. Sabbath for the soul. Sabbath for the body. Now, with the withdrawal is informed, it's, it's quite deliberate. Jesus deliberately was aware of this escalation, but his time, not, his time had not come yet. Um, was this to avoid confrontation? No, and here's why. He escalated the confrontation. And he was aware of this, and he withdrew from there. So why withdraw? Well, the right time had not come. Other places in Matthew, uh, we learn about this too. Now there's different, lots, just like we have different meanings for the same word, especially for time. Um, the, original, the original Greek also have different, different words for time and different meanings for those words in time. So if you ask me to come mow your lawn tomorrow, well, it's snowing, if you ask me to come shovel your driveway tomorrow, I don't have the time. Um, or if I were to say generally, in times like these, it's hard to get a pack of toilet paper. That's a pretty general, in times, that could be this month, this year, this past couple of years, in times like these. If I say, hey, what time is it? It's more precise. 10.52. 10.52 is the time. This is the same way, and because this will come up again, in Matthew with the discussion of time. There's uh, the hour has not yet come. Uh, there's time, it's Kairos time, which is actually um, the actual time of day on the third hour or on the ninth hour, he breathed this last. Then there's the hour discussion. There, there's, there's the hour has come. You don't know the day nor the hour. That's speaking in general time, but it's also a very specific time when he breathed his last on the hour. So 
For now, he refrains. We are to just know that the time has not come. The time is allotted by God. He, he knows the time. He knows the exact moment he'll be on a cross. Uh, God knows the exact moment he'll come on the last day. Jesus is aware of this. He's not avoiding confrontation. He's certainly not. The Lord Jesus, who upturns market tables at the temple, is not running away like a sister. We know that. We know that. Um, but many followed them. And this is actually a, a crowd. So the manifestation of God's reign is clear. This can also be a concluding statement for the Sabbath, the Sabbath argument escalation. Um, he actually, and this is, a, this is a neat word, he therapeutic them all. He therapeutic them all. That's, the, that's where we get the Greek word therapeutic. He healed them all. Um, a couple things here that is really neat for our, for our Christianity. Many are the ones who followed him. That's a definite number. It, it could be, it, it's, not, it's not everybody, not everybody followed him, but many followed him. The ones who followed, all were healed. All were healed. This is totality, not partial. The ones who had ears and, he, and heard followed him and he healed them all. Um, one other thing we'll close on, because I don't think we'll get to the 17. So in the same way, um, it's not in the English, is it? He therapeutic all the crowd who followed him, followed in the same way. This word right here actually has a, it, it's like two or three words. We talked about this word a little bit before. When we go to church on Sunday or somebody asks us about our faith, we say, you know, somebody says, oh, what denomination are you? Uh, well, I'm a Christian in the Lutheran church. Back then, it was just the way. Just the way, that simple. Jesus leads, we follow in the way. Um, in the Didache, the first hymnal or catechism of the church around the year 100 to 120, uh, it was called the teaching of the way. The teaching of the way. The Didache. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean then to follow in the way? Well, we're coming up on Lent, right? Lent starts on March 2nd through April, Good Friday's on April 15th. And we have Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. This is what we do more, uh, we follow Jesus around the calendar. We followed him through the time of Christmas, his birth. Uh, in Lent, we'll actually follow Jesus to the cross. And it's more pronounced during that time. Um, as we get closer, as a disciple follows Christ, I mean, think of what the disciples do who followed Christ 
from this point in his ministry all the way to the cross. They get scared. One turned away on Thursday before Easter for money. One drew his sword on Thursday to fight. He got fighting and fleeing, turning to another god. And by the time he was arrested on Thursday night at this culmination of Lent, all of them scattered. When we are called to follow Christ by word, by baptism, when we're called to faith, our original sin, our, our stained soul, died with Christ on the cross on Good Friday and rose to newness of life. Now we all have resurrected souls. We have the Holy Spirit in us that pulls our body to follow Christ in Lent all the way to all the way to Thursday, Maundy Thursday, as we hear about the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper that we do on Sunday is not a reenactment. It's not a, uh, it's not a reenactment. It's not a symbol, of course. It is the same supper that Jesus had on Thursday. The same one where he says, this is my body. Time is not of the essence. Um, and just like verse 15 says, we follow all the way to the cross. This will actually culminate in, this will actually, uh, beginning here, as we follow him to the, to the cross, uh, at the end of chapter 16 is take up your cross and follow him. And what that means, because he's, he's getting close to death at that time. Um, so what did Jesus do? He ordered them not to make it known. He has a, a powerful ministry. Miracles for bodies and souls. Um, but in his paradox, he's humble. And this, this, this is going to, when we get into this, this will uh, summarize humility. Summarize humility a bit. Uh, no one can comprehend this humility without seeing his, uh, without knowing his actions on the cross, um, without seeing the end. We know the end. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Disciples and those listening and not listening, hearing and not hearing, did not know the end. Um, when the end is known, when that time comes, um, Jesus then will invite the crowds, to proclaim his work, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, that command will come in the Great Commission after the resurrection. So is that the same, same reason, like the transfiguration No, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, Matthew 17. Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Yes, yeah, as they are coming down the mountain. Tell no one of the vision. Um,
uh, one thing I noticed because I just wrote the sermon. I just this is this is the reading coming up on on Sunday. Um, I just wrote the sermon on. I didn't get into the. I, I had this in there a little bit. Um, what happens at the resurrection to Peter? The risen Jesus Christ says to the ladies at the tomb. Go and tell the disciples and tell Peter that I am raised from the dead. Why Peter? Why Peter? Why specifically? Why not just say go and tell all the disciples? He couldn't be for you left, but he was like our, he was the one who rejected him. Yeah, denied him three times. Denied him three times. He wept bitterly. After the resurrection, the very first word. To Peter was what? After they met in the upper room, Peter's there. Peter, James, and John are there. Peace be with you. You are forgiven, Peter, for denying me three times. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark specifically points out Peter for that reason. Because Peter needed forgiveness. Peter was distraught. Humble as humble could be, uh, might not even believe, had not the risen Christ told them. What does this have to do with the transfiguration? Well, the transfiguration connects the dots for us who know the end in mind. These guys did not know the end in mind. Where was it? What verse was it? These guys did not know the end. So as they come down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. What other event does the transfiguration directly connect to? Give you a hint. Baptism. With an addition. <laughs> the first time they had heard these words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, was in baptism. This was the beginning. Jesus is showing us by example, of course. One of the reasons he was baptized is to show us, here's what you do. Follow Jesus. Jesus is baptized now. I, I'm next to mine. I get baptized. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ, try not to give away my sermon. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ is not just his. It's also ours. For us who know the end in mind, that the Son of Man is raised from the dead, and his first words to anybody who followed him was forgiveness. Peace be with you. Tell you, a bunch of my buddies deserted me as I'm nailed to a cross and I die, and I rose from the dead. I might be going after him with a baseball. No, I don't you know. But if you try to put yourself in the place of Jesus, what greater love is that? Peace be with you. And they were amazed and terrified. He had to say it again. Peace be with you. 
uh, the reassurance. So this is the end in mind, death and resurrection of Christ. We follow him to the cross, transfiguration, teach, teaches us our adoption by grace and baptism. I'll give away one other part because I love this. Where's the forgiveness? Because they were terrified. Obviously, they weren't listening to him. You could call this repentance. Completely subjected themselves subordinate to this voice who is also saying he's pleased with the, the, their rabbi. Jesus Christ. The flesh and blood touched him. Just like the resurrected flesh and blood touches us with an effect, with an effect. In order to have no fear in Scripture, you got to have faith. The Lord's Supper gives us faith. Good question. I love this question. Anything else before we close? There is a, I can't, I believe it's an Acts, um, where they celebrated and broke bread on the Lord's Day being the first day of the week. And now that Jesus has shown that he is Lord of Sabbath, and he provides eternal rest for your souls. Um, and of course, it's, it's the first day of the week is also the resurrection. That was, that was the main reason. Easter is, uh, you know, now Christmas is the biggest holiday. It used to be Easter many centuries ago. Um, I came across that. I'm trying to think. Son of man or the Lord of the The Sabbath before the new covenant, the old covenant was rest on the seventh day. Um, but this cup, this cup, my blood, is the new covenant. Uh, so in this new covenant, we find rest in God's word. Uh, as the commandment says, um, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And how do we keep a Sabbath holy but other than in, in God's word and sacrament? 
I'd have to look at more of the history of it. It is tied to scripture, and I can't remember exactly where, but a lot of it has to do with it being the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, they were breaking bread in Acts, which is kind of like Acts is the uh, church's birthday. Even when you have a disagreement in church, Acts had it first. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Anything else? Oh, how do we? We made it through five chapters today.